tonight. I don't think we'll need the whining and complaining shirts during the preaching. Hopefully not, you know, but I'll have them on hand just in case. Um, in your, your booklet, there are some notes for the first session. And uh, what follows that, you'll, you'll see there's a, a little devotion assignment. That's for you to do from home on your own tomorrow morning. There, there's no... Uh, there's no time given in the schedule for when the morning is for you. So unlike at youth camp where it's like breakfast at 8 a.m., you know, you could do your morning assignment at 10 a.m., 11 a.m. if your parents let you get away with that. Uh, but uh, there's also going to be a small group time happening at 2 o'clock. Uh, Zoom info's there in the schedule, and, and that'll follow uh, the, the morning assignment that you guys will do spending time in this book of Ecclesiastes, and then we'll get to interact with one another as to what, what is God showing you through his word as we're spending time together in this book. Um, I want to start with a, a bit of an odd game. You, you might have noticed there are certain hashtags that trend, you know, on Twitter and other platforms, and, and, and they often involve explaining something badly or explaining something in the most boring possible way that you could do it. And so there, there was one trending hashtag, and it was explain a movie plot badly. And so you're going to see some of the uh, responses that people uh, responded and, and, and posted with this hashtag. And y'all just shout out when, once you figured out what movie this is describing. Y'all ready? You understand what's going on? All right, first one up here. Uh, here's the explanation. Neglected sociopath child tries to murder two homeless men. Home alone. home alone. And all God's people said home alone. Yes. Uh, all right, next one. Group spends nine hours returning jewelry. <laughs> no, that could work. What else was there? Lord of the Rings is correct. Yes. The Lord of the Rings trilogy. Uh, Priest kidnaps child for cult that results in an eventual marriage to a politician twice his age. And if that's not disturbing, I don't know what is. Uh, anybody have this one? That is Star Wars episodes one through three and good old uh, Anakin and Padme. Uh, all right, next one. A billionaire devotes his life to cosplay and beating up the mentally ill. That would be, yes, yes, the Dark Knight. Uh, next one. Guy on drugs wins the war by throwing a Frisbee. Captain America. Captain America. Wow, y'all did excellent with, with this. Maybe you can submit your own. All right, one more. An, uncle's, uh, an uncle kills a child's father, so a pig and a big rat help him get his revenge. Lion King is correct, yes. All right, I think that's uh, our last one of those. Um, if you had to describe this year, you don't have to shout out your answers on this one. Um, what kind of plot points would you highlight? If you were to try to take one or two sentences and, and put it together, right? What, what would be some of the events that would stand out? There, there have been a lot of them hitting the news, everything from Kobe to the coronavirus, from uh, the Tiger King to Kanye West for president for a week. Um, a lot has happened, and there's been a lot that we have been wading through in, in a weird year, right? Only in 2020 do headlines like this make sense. Woman pees on floor of Verizon store after refusing to wear a mask. I'm hoping none of you have that reaction uh, when we ask you to mask up at uh, the Youth Summer Jam this week. Uh, but th this is a year that has featured, it's featured distance. It's featured disappointment, destruction. And how do we understand this year? And how do we understand life? How do we tell the story of life? One of, the, one of the benefits of Scripture is that it explains our experience. You know, you know what has strengthened my own confidence that the Bible is God's Word? It's the, it's the number of years I have spent sitting across from somebody else with that book opened up and it explaining their experience. 
it, it providing insight as to why they're twisted up inside of themselves, why they do the things that they do, why do they feel the way that they feel right now, and, and, and something that has come from a distant culture 2,000 plus years ago narrates human behavior with insight and with help. That's what the Bible does. And, and we're going to be in some wisdom literature. We're going to be in the book of Ecclesiastes. You can turn there. I hope you brought a Bible. Uh, if you don't have a Bible with you, you don't have to pull it up on your phone because we'll have it up on the screen. You can turn off your phone and stick it under a chair or something. Uh, but Ecclesiastes chapter 1, it's part of this wisdom literature in the Bible. And, and, and it highlights two startling aspects of reality. And that is creation and the fall. This is a world that is created by God, and this is a world that is now fallen. And those facts influence everything else. We, we live in a world that was created good, but that has gone horribly wrong. And you have to understand both of those in order to make any sense of not only this year, but every year of your Existence. There is a harmony and an order to the world that God has designed. He has wired it a certain way. And you won't understand how it operates if you don't know his wiring. And yet the wires have gotten crossed. There is a curse and there is chaos at work. And, and certain books of the Bible, certain wisdom books like the book of Proverbs, they, they help us see a world of opportunity, a world where, where God shines through everything. And if you can live life according to his principles, you'll go well. But wisdom books like the book of Job or like Ecclesiastes that we're in this week, they, they help us see a world where God often feels hidden where we feel homeless, a world where humanity's been kicked out of the garden and been driven into the wilderness. And it's a world that escapes our grasp. It eludes our ability to control it. It's frustratingly out of our hands. And Ecclesiastes places life in the arena under the sun. That, that's the phrase that shows up Again and again in this book, and so we, we pick this theme not just because it matches nicely with our VBS theme, Under the Sea, and then Under the Sun, uh, but that's the refrain of, of this book as he, he, he picks up one feature of life after another, and he says, this is what it's like to be located in the time and place right here, and, he'll, and we'll have it described for us from beginning to end, and, and the author wants to teach us to enjoy life. Even in all the craziness, even in all the weird headlines that surround us, but, but we have to frame our expectations correctly in order to enjoy it. All right, so look at what he says, starting in chapter 1, verse 1, the words of the preacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. And here he introduces the theme of his book. It's not the main point, but it is the theme. It's not where he wants to end up, but it's where he wants us to begin. And he wants us to recognize that everything that we touch, everything that we interact with is marked with this quality. It's vanity. It's, it's, it's a word in Hebrew that refers to a, a breath or a vapor or a mist. Right, with the coronavirus, there's a, a lot of talk about you know, droplets and how long they'll last and how, you know, for what dis length of time those, they'll circulate in a room and weird stuff like that that make you itch if you think about it for too long. Uh, but, you know, eventually we exhale and it goes away. It's done. It is weightless. And, 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 and he uses this word five times right there, verse two. And, and throughout this book, it refers to things that are, that are empty, that are fleeting, that are unfulfilling, that are unproductive, that are frustrating, and that feel insignificant. 
You know, it sounds like the preacher would agree with Macbeth, who said that life is a tale told by an idiot full of sound and fury signifying nothing. Now, something inside of us says, <laughs> but wait, that's not all that life is, right? Uh, I, that's not what I'm living for. And, and, and the Bible teaches us some other important things about life. But, but we have to allow him to p- apply a little pressure on us first before we escape his analysis, before we try to resolve this too easily. And, and he opens this book with this poem. You could, you could call it a parade of vanity. You can just watch one float after another go down the street, one illustration after another of the pointlessness of so much that characterizes life. Look at what he says. Verse 3. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? Right, that, that's a rhetorical question, and rhetorical questions, they have the answer included free of charge. I like to put it like this. When, you, when your mom asks you the question, do I look stupid, you're not supposed to answer it. And if you do, you're going to end up in more trouble than when you began. Right? The, the answer is, is already implied. And what he's saying here is that there is no gain from our toil. There's nothing that gets left over in the end. All right, y'all have been out of school for a little while. Uh, let's see how fast you can solve this math equation. Let's put it up on the board right here. We got 4 plus 6 minus 10 plus 8 plus 8 minus 16 minus 5 plus 3 plus 2 equals? Zero. Zero, right? It looks fancy. It looks like a lot's going on right there. Things are getting added. Some things are taken away. You know, a few steps forward, a few steps back. And in the end, nothing was left over. Nothing was gained. And he's saying, take every chapter of life. Take everything that you walk through. Take every plus three minus four plus six. And at the end of life, you and I end up in a grave. And that's what we're left with. Zero. It can look like this vibrant exchange where things are being added and taken away. But in the end, left with nothing. Verse four, a generation goes and a generation comes. But the earth remains forever. It's indifferent to us. It's like the the coming and going of generations haven't added anything to the earth. You know, it it probably wasn't something that you were learning about in school. Now people are going to be adding that to the curriculum in 2020 included, but you were familiar with World War I and World War II, but anybody knew about the 1918 pandemic uh, before this year, right? Now it's in the news. Uh, 1918, the Spanish flu. Do you guys realize that over 50 million people died worldwide from the Spanish flu? It's more than those who perished in World War I. 17 million died in India. And yet, the world moves on. And they're largely forgotten. The earth continues to orbit the sun, and it'll still be spinning when you and I are gone as well. Right? Th- th- this tree up here has seen more life than we ever will. It, you know, if you count the rings, it reaches all the way back to, it's hard to see this, to 570 AD when Muhammad was born, and it lived a very full life until it was cut down in 1891 so that it could entertain people at the Chicago's World, World's Fair. Right? Everybody just cry a solitary tear for, for that tree uh, that had its, its life cut short. But, but it has no way, uh, no power of understanding any of the history that surrounded it. Right? The natural world is marked by this maddening repetition. Look at what he says in verse 5. The sun rises and the sun goes down. And it hastens, or it returns panting. It's running around the track, right to the place where it rises. It just does the same cycle day after day, but nothing really advances. Time changes nothing. Life is like a monotonous prison. It's like a stay-at-home order that never gets lifted and every day is blur's day. We know a little bit of what this has been like. 
It's just so often the other things that we're involved in and doing and filling up our schedule with tend to mask that this is reality in this world. We like change. We like the change of seasons. You know, it's hard for me to pick my favorite season. It's just whenever the season change, changes that, I get excited about that, right? The beginning of summer, what's to come? What are we going to do? We're going to go to the beach. We're going to be swimming, right? The, the, the beginning of fall, maybe in New Orleans, the weather might cool down, but probably not, right? It'd be nice to go somewhere to see leaves that can actually change colors and, you know, got red and orange and, and yellow. And then, and then, you know, right after Thanksgiving or maybe weeks before Thanksgiving or maybe even during Halloween season for some of y'all, Christmas begins. And Christmas season is there, and then springtime. Right? We love change. We love something new coming our way. We love the thought, at least when you're younger, you like the thought of getting older. You like, you know, what am I going to get to do next year? When am I going to be able to get my driver's license? One day I'm going to head off to college, right? We want new beginnings to be experienced. And we often think that if we can change certain features of our lives or if, if we can press the fast forward button on the times that make us restless, then everything is going to be okay. I mean, have, have y'all noticed how every video player now, every app has like that skip forward button, that little circle arrow. It's got the little rewind one, but it's got skip forward 15 seconds, 30 seconds. They just know people are going to thumb that, right? Uh, I'm bored with this moment, this scene, this ad. Let me skip forward in time, 30 seconds, and then something different is going to come my way and something new is going to be in my experience just to pull me out of the boredom. But we, we itch for improvement to ourselves, to the world around us. And it's interesting to watch the, the different cultural phases of this, of, of kind of self-improvement and social improvement. And, you know, different generations have their own features of those, you know, for baby boomers, the, kind of the American dream and what you can build and, and what you can achieve for your family, right? Millennials, we've had our own kind of version of what we would hope to do and what kind of lasting difference that we would make, right? And, and, and Gen Z experiences this as well. It's, it's interesting to watch this on social media as like my recent kind of gives way to sign the petitions in my bio, you know, it's like, I, I want to I build my, my profile and my feature and be an influencer, but I also want to make an impact on the world around me. And it's like Gen Z can't figure out if they want to start, you know, some, making some makeup tutorial videos and have a channel that does that or start a movement to defund the police, you know, just kind of back and forth. What can I improve about my existence or about society around me. And, and, and it's not wrong to have passions in these areas. And we're going to see on Friday night that the author of Ecclesiastes calls us to take up the cause of justice and to bring relief into the brokenness of this world. But here, he wants to protect us from the delusion that we can ultimately change the world. Verse 7 all streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again, right? Rivers pour into seas and into oceans, and yet the, the water levels, right? They, they don't ultimately make a big difference. The water cycle goes on and on and on. It's always the same. Verse 8, all things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing, right? Uh, you've spent an hour thumbing through TikTok videos, and yet you still won't go to bed. And they start to have like the mental wellness ads that come up saying, hey, it's been a while, you know, you sure you want to continue? Maybe you could give it a rest. And you kind of just thumb up that one. And, you know, it's like that, that itch for content is never going to, to get scratched until you just doze off staring at your screen. You might as well just go to bed. David Gibson says, humans never finally think this is it. I'm full. I have seen it all, said it all, and heard it all. I have given out and taken in 
all that I can. We always feel something's missing and I need more. Never feel like you've moved forward. He says in verse 9, what has been is what will be. And what has been done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Right? Our planet has made its way around the sun roughly 2,020 times since Jesus was born. And they say that one day, whenever historians look back on this year, they're going to like specialize in one month. It's going to be like April or July that they're doing their PhD in all of the details, all the things that came up in any individual month uh, of 2020. It's been so unique and yet not new. So much has happened and yet there's no real progress. Or that, that's one of the problems of in, in overemphasis on what human progress can accomplish. And that's part of the, the cultural conversation right now. If we can just get the right system in place, if we can just get the right government, the right politics, right? as if that hasn't been done throughout humanity a thousand times over, right? Revolutions fill up history, and revolution is in the theme right now. We've got Hamilton rolling, right? Uh, so you've got the American Revolution, you've got the French Revolution, you've got the Russian Revolution, you've got talk of revolution happening right now. But at the end of the revolution, once the dust settles, you have people in government, you have some system, you have some different version of the old stuff that you already had. The only revolution is the earth revolving around the sun. Verse 10. Is there a thing of which it is said, see, this is new? It has been already in the ages before us. I've heard it said that the person who thinks he's discovered something new is actually being something old. It's like, you're out of date, buddy, because you think you're, you know, new and impressive. There have been plenty of people who have been in your spot before and will take your place when you're gone. A case in point here, here's a, a picture of people in the 1920s taking selfies. Uh, nothing uh, new uh, that hasn't been untried, you know, under the sun. But it doesn't stop us from being in love with what's new. Look at this thought from C.S. Lewis in his book, The Screwtape Letters. It was written um, as, as if there's this, this demon writing to his, his nephew, who's kind of an underling, who's new to an assignment, tempting somebody that he's been uh, given to. And, and he writes this, the, the horror of the same old thing is one of the most valuable passions we have produced in the human heart. An endless source of heresies in religion, folly in counsel, infidelity in marriage, and inconstancy in friendship. Right? How many times has just sheer boredom got you into trouble? Right? How many times have literally your parents asked you, why did you do that? And your answer was, because I'm bored. Right? Uh, we just want something new. We want something different. And so that, that's why adultery happens in marriages. That's why people get off track from the truth and start abandoning the Bible over time because it just doesn't feel, this just feels like this is what I grew up around. This doesn't feel right. I'd rather experience something else. I'd rather explore other things. We hate the same old thing. We, we get restless in the same setting. Every day you wake up and it's the same family who grunts at you, right? Uh, it's the same school, the same job that you show up to if you have one of those. Maybe the same church environment or youth group that you arrive at. We, we just want something new. But it doesn't come. And so that's why we're so desperate for our device to bring it to us. Just give me some news. Just give me something I haven't seen before. Something I haven't heard yet. Something I haven't experienced. Because I can't be in this moment where I'm at unless it changes. And Ecclesiastes holds up 
a mirror, and it's not a distorted mirror, although the picture that comes back to us doesn't seem to be recognizable. And he says, you're nothing new. Time doesn't change anything. And, and, and you'll learn just in your own experience, right? There, there are certain things that no matter how much energy and effort you put into it, you just end up right back where you began. It's not resolved. It just shows up one more time. That person that you've offended, you thought things were okay, you thought y'all had dealt with that and, and, and you realize they're withdrawn from you again. They're kind of bringing up some past hurt. It looked like you had moved forward. It looked like the relationship had been mended. And now everything has restarted, right? You spent time working on a relationship, looked like you were making progress, and now it's as if none of that has taken place, and you have the same conversations, the same arguments, as if they're all pre-scripted. Right? So much of life is oppressively stupid like that. Now, that, that's not the whole story, right? This is just chapter one of, of this book. God has a purpose in this, but this is how life under the sun confronts us. And if we don't understand that, if we don't go in with these kinds of expectations, we're going to want to throw in the towel much sooner than God has planned. But, but this isn't a message that sells, right? And it doesn't even sell in the church world, right? We, we, we want to be told that we're awesome, that we're full of potential, that the sky is the limit, and if we just put in a little effort and just a little bit of pixie dust and magic, then things will go our way and our dreams will come true. And Ecclesiastes is saying the world just doesn't work like that. Something broke in it a long time ago. We're in a life that is under a curse. Do you expect that? Because this writer didn't. And he chronicles here this kind of experiment in futility. Just, he, he moves on from talking about the natural world to his own experience. And he describes it as chasing the wind. Right? And, and, and that's a phrase. I mean, could you imagine somebody doing this, like running around outside like a, a cat running after a laser pointer and, and grasping at, after something? And the idea is you, you, you can sweat and you can spend a lot of effort trying to get something that in, it'll never be in your hands. And here's, here's a, uh, a fun example of what this experience is like. Uh, this is from uh, Rhett and Link, the Wind Bakers. Uh, Y'all check out this video real quick. Hi, we're the Windbakers. This is my friend Sven Windham. And this is my friend, Windy Draft. And we would like to introduce our other friend. Oh my gosh. Fresh Aaron. Thank you. Yes. Thank you. Yes. That's my great friend. We all hail from a very windy region of Earth where we enjoy baking everything better in the wind. Although we love the wind so much, we don't want it to break us, no. And so we're wearing our windbreakers. We're wearing some protective gear. In order to take you on a recipe of wind excursion, we need to summon the, the wind. wind. There it is. All right, bring it on. Bring the wind up. Oh, my goodness. That is a strong wind. You guys like some windy wine? Yes, some windy wine. Here you go.
that'll be our first team game after the session tonight. So hope you're ready for that. Ah, all right, here, here's the point, right? Whatever's in your hands for a moment, it's blown away. It just doesn't last. It doesn't deliver what you thought it would provide. And, and, and he's saying that nothing ultimately is fulfilling in what you can find under the sun, right? He's, he's like Angelica Schuyler who can't get any satisfaction, right? Even when normal returns for us, this needs to frame our expectations, Whatever normal life was before 2020, when, when that comes back, our passions and our pursuits and our pleasures will always deliver less than expected. But you know, that, that reality doesn't stop us from pretending, right? We, we think that finally entering into high school or finally graduating high school or finally getting a girlfriend or a boyfriend, finally getting on the team will fix us. But that, that doesn't stop this guy from trying either, right? First, first he tested out education, right? He, he's saying here, you, you, you can gain knowledge and study and achievement in the academic world and you stand back and you consider all that you've accomplished and you realize it wasn't all that much. And I, I, can, I can relate to that a little bit. Uh, I spent too many years that I should have trying to get a master's degree. And by the end of it, uh, last year, went up for my graduation, walked across the platform in Jackson, Mississippi, and, you know, basically got back in a car and drove home, <laughs> right? It just, it just doesn't quite deliver what you hoped it would provide for you. And he, sa he says this in chapter 1, verse 16, I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceived that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. We have a lot of access to knowledge today. Right? This, is the, this is the day of Wikipedia and ask Siri and get some tips and help from Alexa. Any moment that you have any curiosity, you can pull up the entire history of that subject. We, we are more highly educated than a lot of humanity that has preceded us. But, but has that really helped us? Has that made us happier has that made us better as a society? Look at what Sinclair Ferguson says. He says, education may have filled the mind, but in itself, he has no it has no power to cleanse or to tame the spirit. We have a more highly educated society than ever, but we also have more expressions of greed, more crime, more violence, and correspondingly more fear. We have more education about racism. But do we really have any less racial discrimination arising in the heart? Now, the answer to that is not to become ignorant. Right? Stop teaching people about subjects that matter. Have no awareness of the world around you or any history that has gone before us. So that's not the answer. But if we think just teaching people things and telling them to play nice with one another and informing them better is going to fix what is broken in the human heart, then we are chasing after the wind. But he says this, he says, with more knowledge comes increased sorrow. We, we interact with the level of information today that would have caused people living 100 years ago to be hospitalized with anxiety. I mean, you, you, you are an extremely socially aware generation. And, and this year in particular, the, the feeds have been flooded with, that's broken, that's messed up, that's crazy. Oh, I didn't realize that was going on in Oklahoma or whatever. You know, it's just, it, it's right there. It's constant. It never ends. Does it make us happy or whole? 
or does it add to our burdens? Right? We, we can be in the know on everything that's taken place with strangers. We have more opportunities to compare ourselves to people and remember the ways that life hasn't provided for us and the ways that we want to. And, and the more we know about humanity, the less that we understand. That's why what he means when he says, I set out to learn madness and folly. In other words, he wants to understand why do people do the things that they do? Why are they so reckless and self-destructive and inconsiderate? Why is this taking place? And the more you know about the situation, the less that it explains. Knowing more doesn't help us if this is what we're after. Hey, what about entertainment? He explores having a good time and a good laugh. He says in chapter 2, verse 1, I said in my heart, come now, I'll test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But behold, this was also vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad and of pleasure. What use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine. My heart still guiding me with wisdom, right? So he's not being a drunkard here, but he's just trying to experience, hey, can we have a good time? And how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. Right? He, he wanted to get with friends. He wanted to, to build a lifestyle for himself that was enjoyable. He wanted to get around in situations where he could have front row seats to, to comedy and experience a good time with those that he cared about. But this is what he says in verse 11. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity and a striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. He picks up the topic of enlightenment as well. What what if I can figure out how life works? And, and, And what if I have principles that if you just avoid these three things... And if you just do these five life hacks, then you can build a world that's going to last and that's going to be fulfilling. And that venture provided no gain under the sun. And he talks about employment. He talks about this experience of of workday after workday and trying to figure out what exactly got done. (laughs) I have days like that. I come home and try to figure out, okay, what exactly was accomplished? You know, time evades into the, into the mystery, right? And so, some of you guys have, have jobs. This is something to store away for your future because, you know, I, I hear from a lot of people that are, that are in college and they're maybe a, a year in or two and they're reconsidering their major or they're in their young 20s or mid-20s and, and the life trajectory that they are on feels problematic. It it just, whatever they thought they would be experiencing in this moment hasn't come. There's actually a new new term for this. It's called the quarter life crisis. You get to be about 24, 25, and you start freaking out because you realize this isn't how I imagined it. This, This line of work isn't doing for me what I thought it would. It's not fulfilling me in the way that I anticipated. And and here he's saying, it doesn't matter what career you pick. It doesn't matter what major you land on. If you're looking for it to provide that, you will be disappointed. He wants us to be informed about our experience. Here's a stark way of putting it. David Gibson says, life stretches ahead of the young employee with dreams of fulfilling career and a happy family but it will all come and go. She is going to die and will not be remembered. Nobody wants to say that at your high school graduation, <laughs> right? That, that, that's not the kind of commencement charge that's going to launch you into life. But there's this realization. Death is this great equalizer and it's coming for everything in life. Everything you've put your hands on, everything that you can touch. And it's so hard when you're young, to even be able to imagine that. 
in 2020, you get mortality rates and death figures and zoomed into a particular count. And we remember, young and old, we, we are expendable. But he, he has an experiment in things like, look, look, look at this list together, politics and government, money, friendship and loneliness, social justice, empty religion, the recognition or approval of people, living in the information age, and just one after another, he picks it up and he says, it doesn't provide anything that makes me whole. And what stands out to me is, is how tame some of those things are, right? He's, he's not saying, I blew all my money on hookers and whiskey, right? He, he, he's saying things like, you know, I decided to, to take up lifestyle blogging. You know, it's, it's just like normal, boring stuff, and yet it doesn't last, right? As Christians, when we sing, nothing in this world satisfies, it's easy to think about like the sinful lifestyles and you know, uh, pornography or drunkenness or kind of those, those stark categories of sin and how they don't ultimately satisfy. Or maybe even things like fame and fortune. And some of y'all, you know, you're familiar with the Alpha uh, presentation that, you know, we have and, and, and the people who have won the lottery and it, it, it didn't really last for them or, or scratch the itch that they had. But what about things like Friendship. That that's something in this world that doesn't satisfy. Are you prepared for that? Because friends can feel really big for you. And, and maybe for you, you feel like you're on the outside of a group and everybody seems to click. And they get along and they've got their own jokes and they're with one another, and they don't include me in the same way, and it seems like they've got an experience that you lack. And in some ways, that might be true. But it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter who comes and goes in your life. You'll never be able to pick up the cup of, of friendship and, and drink something from it that feels like that. That's satisfied. All right, that's what it's like. That, that's what that show Friends was all about, you know. I'll be there for you. Right? It, it's, a, it's a comedy sitcom for a reason. Which, by the way, have you ever seen, like, uh, pe people show an episode of Friends and they take away the laugh track and how weird and awkward it is all of a sudden? It's like you need the laugh track for it to become funny, for it to become in any way realistic. And yet life isn't like that. And if you're loading up those kinds of expectations on the young people around you who are also 15, who are immature and insecure in their own ways and just trying to figure stuff out and they're going to disappoint you and hurt your feelings, it's not going to give you what you're looking for. Now, why is life like this? Right, because the Bible doesn't just describe life. It gives us insight. It, 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 it tells us why. Why do we go through these things? Why do we experience these kinds of disappointments? And the answer it gives us is that God has made it this way. God did this. God has poked holes in all the containers of life so that they don't hold what we think that they do. And we'll, we'll find out why in just a moment. And his point is not that there's no joy in these things or that if you're super spiritual that you're not going to care about them, right? We're going to talk about on Friday night how to enjoy the gifts that God has given us like friends and family and food and all the essential you know, things uh, that we love to share with one another. But we need to know they come with limits installed. We're limited in time and we're limited in our ability to understand why we're in the time that we're in. And that's where he turns in chapter three, right, that everything has its time. One of the things about the shutdown life in the spring was that you kind of you lose a sense of time, calendar, what day of the week is it, what's coming up, I don't know, do I have any appointments, right? All of a sudden, that ability to tell the time, it's like the internal clock got broken. 
But, the, but, but there's, a, there's a, a assigned time for every experience in life. He says in chapter 3, verse 1, For everything there is a season, and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, and a time to die, a time to plant, and a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, a time to weep and a time to laugh, a time to mourn and a time to dance. Everything on the spectrum of life from birth to death and the joys and sorrows that fill up your experience between them, they have their place. And listen, None of them are out of bounds. A time to weep. A time for hardship. A time when all the things you felt like you invested in and built and spent time pursuing are now crumbling to pieces. And, and there are different life seasons that we walk through. Right? We, and... and when you're talking with somebody and your heart flutters because you think that they might like you and, and you like them and you kind of imagine maybe something is going on here and maybe there's interest here, right? In, in that moment where it looks like something new is developing, you don't have in your mind the, the ways that you're going to bring one another to tears. The heartbreak that's on the other side of relationships. But in every, every time of growth and adding and joy that God provides us under the sun, there are also moments that when their time comes, feel like loss, disappointment, difficulty. And you can long for the next season and be unprepared for the complications that it will bring. But the thing about these times is that we're not the ones scheduling them, right? There, there are different ways that people approach uh, alarm clocks, like with the kind of iPhone alarm. And, and, and sometimes you'll see people that it's like 7 a.m. and 7.05 a.m. There's another alarm set and 7.10 a.m., right? Uh, Y'all don't have to get out of bed for anything right now, so you're not doing that. Uh, but it's like, this is going to happen then, and then the, this alarm is going to sound. And, and it'd be nice if we had that kind of control over our lives. If we were ready and prepared for when the time of sorrow comes. And we're not. It eludes our grasp, our ability to control it, right? When we were at youth camp last year, none of us anticipated what the summer of 2020 would look like. And there's, there's a time to be born. Did anybody ask her permission before that came? Like, hey, do you want this? Are you ready to enter into the world, right? You just work here. And whenever our time comes to make our exit from this life, that will be outside of our control as well. And, and, and sometimes, you know, we, we relate to our circumstances in such a way that if only things would change, right? When, when, when things get better, when things get easier, uh, when, when I'm older or whatever, right? That, that's the moment that I'm going to manage life better. That's when I'll start being responsible. That's when I'll start getting serious about following God when it becomes easier. Because right now I'm in eighth grade and it's really hard, right? Can I just tell you, you guys are in the easiest moment of your life this time forward, <laughs> right? We don't want to be told that. Uh, but, but every season and every decade that's going to follow you, life gets more complicated and more difficult. And the things that you found to be manageable in this season of your life, they, they, they have a complexity to them later on. So if we're, if we're waiting for an easier time to come, you know, sometimes life just gets harder. But God has patterned life in this way. There, there is a fittingness to everything that happens 
even our suffering, not because these things are good on their own, but because God has a purpose in them. God has a vantage point from which to see the beauty and the appropriateness of everything that's under the sun because he's arranged it. What, what happens in this world, what happens in your life and mine is not just chaotic. It's not unplanned. It's not random. It's, it's directed by a God who in his infinite wisdom has given everything its proper place. And every chapter that we walk through has its purpose. But God rarely removes the curtain and allows humanity to see what he's doing behind the scenes. We often can't make sense of the individual moments that we're in because we, we don't see the story that's being written. David Gibson says, if we could see the end from the beginning and understand how a billion lives and a thousand generations and unspeakable sorrows and untold joys are all woven into a tapestry of perfect beauty, then we would be God. But so often, that's what we need to be convinced of before we'll get out of bed. Before we'll do something besides just drag our feet and complain. I need an explanation for why this makes sense. I need to be able to see how this somehow contributes to the billions of things that are going on in the universe that God is managing. And yet that's insight that so often we're not given, right? Our, our vantage point is so small. I just quickly saw this headline that the comet Neowise, which is an ironic name for Ecclesiastes because it means new wisdom, uh, that it's visible this month and that it's not going to be seen again for another 6,800 years. And so, uh, you know, later on, maybe tomorrow night after it's dark, you can go outside and see if you can catch it. And if you miss it, it's going to be gone because from where we are on this little planet Earth, uh, it's, it's not going to be a, another thousands of generations before somebody else with human eyes will be able to see that. And yet every star in the universe, God has ordained its place and knows its name and its orbit and its gravitational pull and why it is necessary down to the individual hairs on your head and the frustrations that you're experiencing right now. He knows why it's beautiful in its place. And how it fulfills the story that he's writing for your life. David Gibson says, in my, in my finite story, I often, I'm often left grasping after several different threads and cannot seem to weave them into one coherent whole. My story has broken characters, jarring interruptions, unexpected joys. Relationships caught up in unresolved tensions and difficulties. My life story has unexplained contradictions. I have plenty of unanswered questions. And in God's kindness and mercy, I have yet unfinished chapters. But my story is not the story. But I finally did get to, to sit through the entire production of Hamilton on July 3rd. So... I've, I've joined the cult. Uh, I've only seen it once, so uh, there, there's that. But uh, I had listened to a few of the songs, but this was my first time kind of sitting through uh, the, the, the whole production. And a major theme of that is, is, is who's the one who's telling your story? Who, who's the one who gets the final say on whether or not what you did was worthwhile, on whether or not you were significant? And, there, and there's that moment when... Um, Eliza Hamilton has entered into the center stage and, 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 and she, she gasps out a final breath and, and, and there's different interpretations of that. Is, is that the final moment of her life or is she now kind of breaking the fourth wall and looking out on the, the large audience of people who are now hearing her story? And the impact and the influence that she's had on a nation and on generations that were to come. 
But you realize we don't ever get to do that. We're not placed on the stage. We don't get to stare out a few hundred years later on and have an audience applaud and say, what you did matter if death is the end of the story. And death is coming for every single human under the sun. Which is why we long for something beyond it. All right, final thing for us to consider together. Verse 30, eternity changes everything. Verse 10 of chapter 3. I have seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart, yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. We we have limits here and now. We we long to understand what's God up to from, from the very beginning all the way to the end. We want to know how it all fits together. We want to know why is Wednesday like this right now? And so often we're not Given that, we want a place above the sun. And the reason why is because God has taken this, this boundlessness from beginning to end and he shoved it into the finite human heart so that we would ache for him. We are made to find a fallen world to be uncomfortable, to be unsettling, to be one meaninglessness episode after another so that it would not be our home. Because you and I, as we often do, would forget God so easily if things went according to our plan. And so God has lovingly introduced frustration, disappointment, and what Ecclesiastes calls vanity. So that we would long for something beyond this time. And a world that's not trapped under this sun. For the day when Jesus Christ would, in his glory forever, put the sun out of a job. Because his brightness would shine on the new earth. That's how Paul puts it in Romans chapter 8. And Eric and the band can come back up. He says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing, that's the ache, for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope. That the creation itself would be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. God did that. He poked holes in everything that we would experience. And so that when we go, we lift up the cup and we go to drink from it and we feel like, I thought there was more there. We would know we were made for someone who always satisfies And who never runs out. And who can't be contained under the sun. So that we would not look to some temporary fix. I mean, what a waste. If every day for us went according to our plans. And what is broken in us never gets repaired. But Jesus came. And he went under the curse for us. And he died a death that with natural eyes you were to stare at, you would only see meaninglessness and a waste. And yet was beautiful in its time because through it God was restoring this broken world, rolling back the curse, right? That's what Jesus did when he came. He just interacts with one feature of fallenness after another and he gives sight to the blind, he makes the lame walk and he raises the dead 
and he lifts little by little the vanity that characterizes this world as a taste. And he leaves us in it. But he does not leave us alone in it. He gives us his spirit. He gives us his wisdom. He gives us his help. He gives us, we're going to see Friday night, an ability to actually enjoy life as we wade through difficulty and disappointment. But he doesn't take away that element that says, ah, this just doesn't feel right. Because it's not supposed to. We were made for somewhere else and someone else. Let's stand together and I just want us to take a moment to consider God and to respond to him and to be amazed at him even as we've stared. I know this is not your typical youth type message, right? Um, we don't often have the patience to sit down and, and actually look honestly at why is life the way that it is? But God loves to help us. And that's why he provides his truth for us. But I, I just, we're gonna take a moment to sing and respond to the Lord, but I wanna allow him to bring to mind for you where you need to hear this. Where are you feeling dissatisfied? And, and, and you should. If everything we heard tonight is true, you should. We chase the wind in this world. And we're not happy about it. But when we start to feel like that's wrong, that we deserve better than that, that that shouldn't be our experience, that's when we start to turn on the people around us and punish them and blame them because... Your parents haven't fixed it. They've not let you do what you feel like you need to do in order to have a better time right now, in order to be in a different moment, a different season than this one is. I mean, can y'all just solve the pandemic, please, mom and dad, you know? But that's how we treat one another. And sometimes that's how we treat God. And the very experiences that are designed to pull us into him we use as an excuse to withdraw from him. So where are you tonight? What kind of season are you in? There's one that we're walking through as a world right now. One of those rare moments when the entire planet is characterized by some of the same features. But you've got your own individual story. You've got your own broken characters. You've got your own disappointments, your own conflict, your own frustrations, your own sense that I really thought I'd be in a different place than I am right now. And your own ways that you weaponize that. How does God want to help your heart? You allow him to speak to you about that in a moment. and We'll turn to him and pray. But let's begin in singing. Behold him.